Hi, I'm Paul Jay. Welcome to the analysis.news. So the Dems Democratic Party has retaken the Senate as we are speaking. It's still not clear whether they're going to retake the House, although most of the pundits are predicting they won't by a slim margin. So what happened and why? We'll be back in just a few seconds with Thomas Ferguson to discuss the results of the election and some of the economics involved and why so many people got it wrong. So one of the things that was most frustrating for me in watching the lead up to the elections was the way the Democratic Party, of which I am certainly of corporate Democrats, everyone knows that watches the analysis. I am no fan, but yes, as opposed to Trump, yes, I would hold my nose and vote Democrat if I lived in a state where Republican might actually win, as it turned out, even though I'm not even living in the U.S. anymore, I'm still registered to vote in Maryland, but given that the Democrats were going to win everything there is to win in, in Maryland, I didn't vote because I, my nose was sore that day. Um, all that said, I was very frustrated with the way the Democrats couldn't even defend their economic record, which was rather pitiful, but still better than the Republicans. The basic argument the Republicans were giving, and here I'm going to show you a little clip from uh, the Stephanopoulos show on the Sunday just before the election, where Chris Christie goes on and on about how the Democrats are going to lose because they couldn't deal with inflation, and everybody knows inflation came from the stimulus spending that was pushed through by the Democrats. What drives inflation? It's not just what who's in Washington, D.C. We're being, this inflation is being driven by huge demand at a time we had two years of a I'll take Larry Summers' word for it, okay? Um, Larry Summers, Clinton's Treasury Secretary, told the Biden administration two years ago, you go ahead with the spending you're talking about, and you are going to create enormous inflation, and it's exactly what happened. And we can try to blame it on a whole bunch of other things, but when you put $5 trillion that you printed into the economy after all the money that we put in during COVID, that's why you have inflation. And, you know, the fact is that it's got to stop at some point. And the Democrats don't want to talk about that because their constituencies are all about paying me more. In the end, in the end, Sarah's right that they ceded this ground to Republicans. Well, there's various studies, and as we get into the interview, I'll quote one of them, that show that, in fact, at the very most, that spending may have caused maybe 3% inflation. That's at a time inflation was practically zero. And that inflationary effect, meaning stimulus spending, money that went into people's pockets, well, that money's long been spent. So it has very little to do with today's inflation. Yet I didn't see Democrats defending their record. Uh, the San Francisco Fed paper I referred to actually said that even if there was 3% inflation caused by these policies, it was better than the alternative, which was deep recession. But I didn't hear that being said by Democratic candidates. So I'm going to ask Tom why he thinks the Dems couldn't even defend their own record when they could have actually had something positive to say about it. And, but before we, get, before we get into that, 
I'm going to ask him why did so many of these polls get it wrong? Why did so many of the predictions of the results get it wrong? So now joining me is Tom Ferguson. Tom is the director of research at the Institute for New Economic Thinking. He's also an emeritus professor at the University of Massachusetts. Thanks for joining me, Tom. Boston, please. Let's not. <laughs> oh, I have to say Boston, Boston. Yeah. Oh, the University right. of Boston, Massachusetts. Sorry, not Amherst. Right, okay, right. here we go. All right. So, Tom, let's start with how did uh, this isn't the first time polling has been wrong, but it, it, it was really wrong. Uh, even the internal polls of the Democratic Party, uh, nobody was really expecting the Republicans to do so badly. Or when I say nobody, I guess I should say almost nobody. What do you think? Well, okay. I, I Look, I have to tell you, uh, first of all, we have just done Groundhog Day again, meaning um, in the sense of the movie, we're you know, sort of rerunning what we did in 2020 with small changes. Um, and in that sense, I'm less censorious about the polls, and I would be more censorious of the pundits, if you like. The polls... You know, it doesn't take, when you're at this tight uh, a, rate, a set of races, it takes only a very small margin to just blow you completely off. I mean, if, and it doesn't mean your poll's way off. It means you're, if you're 3 or 4% off, you got a, a lot of races miscalled. But, you know, it's not that bad a deal. On the other hand, what's striking to me is the way you could see this... Um, I'd be inclined to say tin brain punditry uh, that was just everywhere. Um, and it's still everywhere in telling you the meaning of the election that I am pretty sure they can't actually discern. Um, but they were, yeah, they, most everybody was agreed that the, the Democrats would get a drubbing. Uh, and, you know, they got a drubbing, actually. It's not like things worked out wonderfully for them, but it worked out a lot better than everybody thought it was going to. Um, I am quite struck by the sort of the basic line, as far as I can tell, I, and I read this, frankly, as coming from the White House, too. Uh, it is certainly reflected in things like the New York Times, particularly today, where there is no room for doubt. I mean, just read the what might be in the old days, the front page, there, um, they're all sitting around telling you it was a bill for uh, was a victory for middle of the road uh, candidates uh, in both the in, in this sort of happy uh, the ro the rosy scenario. It's middle of the road candidates in the Republican Party and middle of the road candidates in the Democratic Party. Now, a problem with this is that when you actually compare the major polls, Edson. Uh, and, uh, you know, the NORC uh, AP thing, they actually differ by just enough in some key places that it's actually hard to tell anything, particularly on the question of exactly how many women were thinking what and how they actually vote. That's a, I'm having trouble with that. So uh, I think we have to sort of be cautious there. But it seems to me a lot of people rush to judgment. I mean, look, the first thing I think to be said about uh, the economics of this election is something that, as far as I can tell, no election analyst has said, but which is obvious, which is, hey, you know, opening the Strategic Petroleum Reserve pays. 
Uh, I mean, that is to say, uh, there is absolutely no question uh, that inflation was heavily on the minds of voters. I've seen folks try to dispute that, too, using some poll data, but I think that's nonsensical. Um, it is clear, and I know very well from uh, folks who were around who tell, tell, told me this, is that plenty of people gave Biden the advice if they didn't get oil prices down uh, he'd be toast. Well, they got him down. Now, some of that was just the fact that because of the Fed rate rises, the whole of the world now fears a recession. And so, you know, um, people stopped, uh, <clears throat> the price fell, and then OPEC raised prices in response to keep its, its revenue up. Uh, but uh, still, point is, they opened the Strategic Petroleum Reserve Tell me that that's not really important here. And before before we hear all the stuff about the importance of culture and everything else, stick with that you know, opening of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. The other point to notice is that a number of government programs in the Farm Belt uh, are actually offering to buy crops at uh, well above their existing uh, futures prices in the market which means that, you know, that works out, too, for farmers. Now, that's not universal, uh, but it's, it covers a lot of crops. I mean, this type of stuff is, going, is running in the background, if you like, and for sure it's important uh, there. All right, now, that, let's, let's first there is one thing Biden did was to defuse the uh, economic record was to make it better, you know, by just turning on the pump briefly. Now we'll see how they rebuild that thing uh, in the next few months. All right. But then why didn't they defend it? Well, I think, look, first thing to be said is it's not easy to defend. There's a lot of slippage uh, on this. But the bottom line was that for most people, wa uh, their wages just haven't kept up with inflation. There are a lot of claims made about the lowest uh, paid workers. I think that's uh, a huge uh, mistake, I mean, not meaning that it didn't rise, but what they were actually doing was adjusting if they wanted any low-wage workers at all in dangerous in occupations that had formerly been safe. They are now dangerous, and they have had to pay higher wages for that. I don't think that was a general tilt, uh, uh, if you like, in favor of labor. And I note that, you know, in 21, uh, they actually lost ground in unionization. Once the Democrats came in, the rate fell back, you know, rate of unionization fell back, not forward. Uh, there, that's off a of BLS uh, release I was just looking at. Anyway, um, so, but the heart of the matter is uh, you want to understand that no matter what anybody else tells you, or the America's what we might call Sunak moment impends. So that's after the new uh, budget that they will be brought in in a few days by the uh, Prime Minister and the Chancellor of the Exchequer in Britain. Um, put bluntly, they're going to do big budget cuts. Now, um, the bottom line on that is they got to do it to keep their costs down as interest rates rise. I mean, what's happening to every country on earth now? As interest rates rise, the cost on that debt uh, that they've all run up rises a lot, not a little. Uh, the U.S. is in that boat, too. And you could see the Republicans were actually saying it. And interestingly, as a number of folks pointed out, the media wasn't carrying it in those last two weeks. 
uh, about the various Republican proposals for chopping Social Security, keeping uh, lowering the rate Medicare reimburses uh, for doctors and things like that. Now, I, I, I this is um, close to inside baseball, but which I actually despise, but it is perfectly obvious that the Democrats in the White House are thinking about some of these too. Biden has a long history of talking out of both sides of his mouth on Social Security, uh, to put it politely. Um, the uh, budget pressure is going to be very intense uh, there, and I think it's clear that, uh, in general, uh, the, the, the Democrats did not feel, the National Democrats didn't feel like defending their economic record of helping people because they're not thinking they can continue to do that. They are, you know, they've let uh, way too quickly, they have pulled back on um, lots of expenditures to even measure uh, the pandemic spread. I mean, it's like they're, today they're running articles on how uh, thousands of jobs are disappearing in public health that were temporarily funded by uh, the CDC Foundation, you know, it's part of the government. Uh, there. Um, and uh, you, you'll notice, I mean, it's quite striking the way the Biden people, Biden himself said the pandemic is over, but yesterday they extended the emergency uh, rules on that, which will allow them to keep spending. But uh, these folks have been cutting back for quite some time. Uh, and, uh, you know, Paul, I'm sorry to throw raw meat to you, but I have to tell you, I agree completely with you. Um, yeah, these folks were not defending their economic record on the spending side because most of them don't believe it. They don't believe it because they're corporate Democrats. Now here I cannot help but observe one of those delicious ironies that, you know, it's like this is too good to make up. Although a lot about what you're about to read about the, some of those cases, the case of um, the crypto failure there, uh, Sam, uh, was it Baker Friedman? Uh, this is a big centrist Democrat who threw, although he pretended to be a left liberal Democrat, look where they spent the money. I'm in the process of doing that with my colleague Paul Jorgensen. Uh, and uh, no, it's not uh, money, it's mostly funded to sort of center and center right Democrats. Uh, and it's a lot of money. In that sense, one of the big financial props of the center did not hold. <laughs> there, uh, well, Tom, let's just stay, stay on the economic thing for a second, yeah. because uh, you and I discussed this a, a little bit off camera, but it seems to me that they did not want to push back on the argument that government spending was causing inflation because uh, which and, and the only alternative to that is austerity policies cut back on government spending. And then supposedly higher interest rates are going to do something about inflation. Both of those things are not what's causing inflation, if I understand it correctly. Low interest rates were not significant in this 8 9% inflation. Government spending wasn't significant. So, and the two things they're doing is going to cut back the government spending and continue raising higher interest rates. There's another agenda going on here. No, it's the I, 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 I don't disagree that we are about to see uh, an effort 
very carefully now because uh, they're in a much stronger position than they thought they were. That, I, my reading is the White House thought they could blame a lot of this on the Republicans. Now they won't be able to do that. So <laughs> it'll be a much, much more uh, difficult um, sell uh, that it was all the Republicans, uh, which the Republicans were you know, clearly just raring to step into that role. I have to say, in all honesty, that the other reason you would might have some difficulty on uh, pushing that line, though it's not the controlling thing, is given the media worship of Summers and company, the people, the inflation hawks who were warning, in my view, utterly bogus uh, claims about the role of the stimulus program, um, it's a hard, you know, if, you're, if all of your daily papers and all of the talking heads that you're watching are saying the opposite, it's tough for a candidate to just walk up to people and say different. Um, in that sense, uh, this is one of these deals where I, you'd like to blame, I don't, I'm not saying the system as a whole, it's more specific than that. The major networks, the New York Times, they just all spend way too much time on summers. They don't look uh, at serious counter-arguments, they hardly print them. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's like, it's ridiculous. But it's also the case, if you talk to, uh, or listen to folks who have access to the White House, and, you know, I occasionally bump into these people, uh, they will say, that, you know, the, the influence of the conservative inflation hawks in the Democratic Party is quite strong. And they're actively talking to the upper levels of the uh, Biden White House. Yeah. Uh, right. there, there was an interesting interesting piece in The Economist, and it's, and it's not only been there, but it, it kind of came out and said it. And, with, and this is what I think the agenda is. It says that we, up until the pandemic, we being the elites, uh, have been able to control quote-unquote core inflation. But if you read the whole article, it's clear they mean wages. We were able to control this because we had a reliable, cheap source of labor in China. But two things have happened with the global supply chain. One, the pandemic has told us, shown us that we can't rely on this anymore the way we have. And two, uh, the rivalry and tensions with China are threatening those supply chains. And now American workers, and I should say, I'll add to that Canadian, are gaining some leverage. And is that what's really, quote, when I said there's another agenda here, is that the real problem they're trying to deal with, is they don't want uh, wor the working class in North America to gain leverage here, uh, and so they need to beat people down with higher interest rates and cut back uh, social, social network spending, which also gives workers more confidence to, in terms of how they fight. Okay, um, uh, what I'd say is this, is you got to treat even the White House as a place where a set of parties fight out stuff. I mean, and, and the, the arguments inside that, if you like, um, it's not the Republican Party, where as far as I can tell, there's very little disagreement with that strategy, save curiously on the Trump side, which likes to talk the the MAGA line which uh, about making America great again for workers even though they do essentially nothing uh, to make that happen and indeed do many things to make it work but there is that tension in the Republican Party same 
that tension is uh, a different kind of that version of tension is in the Democratic Party, where there is clearly a wing uh, that is actually uh, friendly to the workforce. The striking thing is, though, when you look at unionization rates after uh, the Democrats have been in here now almost two years, they haven't hardly moved at all, and they actually went retrograde last year. Uh, there are a lot of strikes, and you hear the familiar line uh, that this is the friendliest president we've had in years for labor. What that means is they get to come to the White House or something. Um, and, and on the National Labor Relations Board, uh, that that is restructured, I think, in a way that is friendly to labor. But the NLRB and elections are increasingly irrelevant to what's happening to the bulk of the workforce, which never reaches the stage of even, you know, getting uh, to mount a union election. You do see a raft of um, unsanctioned strikes, strikes from small strikes of all kinds. Uh, but, you know, you notice what the White House did. It kicked off the um, question of the railway uh, contract settlement until after the election. This is going to be very interesting. Uh, I just saw where the Secretary of Labor recommend, was saying that, uh, well, he'd tell Biden to uh, say there can't be a strike. They need to tell the employers there to like sick uh, leaves and, and some control over time, especially on weekends for people, is an important issue and not uh, just sort of sit out uh, there trying to, quote, mediate that. It's obvious. Anybody who studies American railways or transportation in general can see just how crazily uh, one-sided these situations have begun, particularly as they try to run very, very long trains with one or two people. Uh, I think you Canadians know something about that, especially. Well, I, I worked on the railroad for five years as a I worked as a carman mechanic on the railroad for five years, and that was beginning when I was there. We were starting to wage, you know, there was a big fight of whether you could have, whether you needed a railroad worker in the van, in the caboose at the end of the train. And they started getting rid of them, and they started having more accidents. Yeah, well, the workers have been in the caboose for uh, a generation or more now, okay? <laughs> I mean, that's clear. So, yeah. Uh, all right, I think we're on the same wavelength here. But yes, I think we have a serious problem, even in the Democratic White House, and I can't wait to see how they negotiate this uh, there. I mean, just watch the railway strike business, uh, since I think at least four of those unions have already turned down the contract, and probably some more will be uh, coming along. But more generally, look, this problem of wages hasn't been solved. In fact, there's no doubt that in uh, in general, uh, wages have lagged well behind inflation. Uh, and that's not going to change as a result of this election. I mean, the, the, you, know, you could say probably you'll just continue with the policies you've got. I, I do not myself think that that can go on forever. I mean, inflate, it, it, inflation does begin to start institutional changes happening uh, because you know the results are so disastrous if you just stay put um, there and I don't know where we go into the future here I think it's going to be very interesting now um, on the the general question of inflation in the world I, I would just comment this way 
on the I you know I don't disagree with the the Economist article which I haven't read the one you just that you can see that the U.S. reliance U.S. firms' reliance on China is declining. I mean the usual estimate is about half of the Chinese trade uh, surplus with the United States uh, is American firms selling back into here. It is clear to me that the combination of Taiwan high tech subsidies in China. Um, and especially the COVID rules there for lockdowns, which included the foreign firms. I mean, you know, you get some CEO flies into there to see how his firm's doing, and he's going to spend 10 days at a hotel that, you know, he didn't bargain for. Uh, well, that cooled him off. And that, I, I think that has very clearly altered um the top rungs of American uh, business attitude toward China. There's still guys cheering on, you know, let's invest, but it's a lot lower than it was. Um, and the other side of it is the restructuring of Europe. Uh, you also see that basically strategic trade issues and decoupling are becoming much more important. Now, those are going to create, they are already creating supply shocks of all type um, and that's not going to stop it's going to continue now you yeah even if even if they move move you know production to India say one it's going to take some time to get anywhere near what it was in China and two that wasn't the biggest biggest issue the biggest issue was during the pandemic they couldn't get stuff here the ports were so clogged up and we're in the era of pandemics now. This ain't going away. They've got, oh, you know, every, every month there's a new one coming by. Yeah, let's, we should, that was one of the significant failures of the Biden administration. They should have generalized vaccines quickly. They should have told the Pfizer and Moderna, okay, look, you're going to have to we do the, we're given the amount of federal uh, support for the background of these viruses, not necessarily to those companies at the time they had it, but that the whole development of those viruses, of the, sorry, uh, of the vaccines. The whole development of the vaccine was certainly in the background, large programs of federal support from DARPA, from the NIH, and other places uh, there. Um, they should have said, uh, okay, after you've made a couple billion now, give everybody access to the vaccine. They haven't done that. Um, and uh, most everybody else's vaccines, while there are around, and so they haven't been disseminated on a wide scale, and some of them, I don't think the Chinese or the Russian vaccines work that well. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. yeah they're, they're at maybe 60% at best, where the American yeah. ones are up around 90. Yeah, if, and if, so... If that's all to be believed, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the result is, is that You've got a worldwide problem, and you know, even and you know, they can't. The latest round of um, vaccines, you know, the take up is not that high even in the U.S., but it's of course zero in countries with no access to it. And so you've you you've just let this thing sit out there, and it will keep mutating. And I can entirely agree. It's like uh, this is now the biggest gambling operation in the world. It dwarfs Macau and Las Vegas and everything else. It's like you bet the whole planet uh, on this policy. This is stupid. And I would add, you know, the Gates Foundation has not helped here. Uh, I mean, they are sort of, Bill Gates has famously opposed uh, this vaccine thing. Now, everybody says, what's he doing there? My take is, is that what you're actually looking at here uh, 
is uh, an effort to make American intellectual property essentially non-negotiable. That is to say uh, that this the fundamental uh, story here is uh, the U.S. government and its major companies think that the intellectual property issue is so important they're not willing to compromise on it. That's a big mistake. Um, on issues like this, they should just give the stuff away. It's not like meaning, not meaning just to be clear, because it just the coin just dropped for me. What you're saying, you mean give it away on a worldwide basis? Because as long as most of the world's not vaccinated, the thing keeps mutating. It's yeah. impossible it doesn't come back to to the United States to North America. Yes, which means you over and over again you have completely broken uh, global supply chains which was the whole basis of uh, globalization which means you have to keep moving more and more production back to north america which again is going to give workers here more leverage so you better beat the shit out of them now well i i don't i mean i i was surprised when i was looking at the some numbers on growth of manufacturing in the united states the other day out of the st louis fed uh, there's rather a lot of it. There's more than I would have thought, but I'm not expecting to see lots of onshoring, except in the case of our re-onshoring, as I think that they're, except in the case of goods with a defense component and sort of basic def uh, things you need, say, like, I suspect that you will see, uh, I trust we will see some continuous effort to keep masks and things like that available. But I, I saw so, I saw an article, you know, a lot of the production that goes on in China, not all, but a, a significant part, meaning Foxcom as the best example, is actually owned by Taiwan. It's Taiwanese, a Taiwanese yes. corporation. And I saw that Taiwan's planning more investment in the United States, including trying to develop some semiconductor business there. Oh, there's, uh, and we are subsidizing our semiconductor folks, especially Intel, uh, to try to do more here. Now, you'll, in the high tech stuff with the defense uh, or vital part uh, aspect, you'll see a good deal of that. But I'm, I, I think you're going to find more, more people moving to places like Vietnam. What you're going to do is this will sort of be a kind of, uh, well, it calls to mind the, um, the old empires of the late 19th century where the French, the, the British, and eventually the Americans late joining sort of creative spheres of influence. Uh, there, although the American position in China was famously everyone should have a right to get in, meaning the Americans should get in too. Um, but the uh, I'm not looking for a lot of that, but you're right. And this is going to be continuously uh, generating trouble. And it does not help that the Biden administration has and, and the CDC have just not, they, have, they haven't got any monitoring system in place in real time to find out what variants are around. I mean, they, they find out now by looking at hospital stuff that's two weeks old uh, in the sense of what the vaccine is out there. By the time you get sick enough to go to the hospital. Tom, just, 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 before we, just before we finish, you know, every, you know there's at least, uh, if, you're, if you're watching mainstream media, you know, there's at least been discussions about high energy prices and what that means for inflation. There's at least been discussion about supply chain. But the thing that's getting very little attention, something you mentioned just a bit to me off camera again, is how high margins, how profit is simply higher than usual these days. And that doesn't get talked about very much. 
Now, the, the Biden administration has been very late on antitrust. They're making some moves now. In the, I mean, but they've been slow, and it's probably, well, we'll see. I wish them the best on that. Their people in charge there are serious about that, but it's not nearly broad enough to do anything, I think, in terms of, you know, it's not going to constrain uh, most companies. This, they, they were slow on that. They, they haven't done anything on commodities regulation. As you know, this crypto thing that just happened. You know, that was money mostly going to Democrats that just blocked it. I mean, uh, Bill Clinton and others were all walking around saying how we had, really had to have a light touch on regulation. No, we didn't. A lot of people are out of uh, vast sums of cash. Uh, it is said that relatively more blacks than whites were actually investing in cryptocurrency. I don't know if that's true, but it's like, uh, I don't mean that most blacks, I don't, I'm not saying that at all, it's just that the proportion compared uh, is a little higher there. I think for younger folks of all types, everybody found it kind of irresistible. I was doing my best to persuade members of the family not to do that. Look, uh, flim and, you know, flim flam here is just... Uh, stock markets lend themselves to that, and particularly at low rates of interest. And, you know, that bubbles are the basic heart of low interest rate policies and bad regulation. That's just the long and the short of it. Uh, it's now mostly the short of it. Yeah, <laughs> but that. <laughs> anyway, now this is. Um, I, I think that we should come back to one point, though, on this which is the, the weirdness of all this. I, I would accept the fact that the, the Trump folks running in the states, if they were running fresh, usually did not do well uh, in secretaries of state offices and things like that. Election deniers, though, in the House, if they were incumbents, did very well. And the insanity of the whole business is that, yeah, on the whole, I don't think it was so great for Trump. I doubt that even Trump will try to claim that. Um, but you look inside the Republican Party, and it's fairly striking. The uh, you have a serious challenge to Mitch McConnell, who was certainly the main bulwark in that party against Trump uh, in the Senate. Uh, and you've got even you know Kevin McCarthy is under severe threat from people uh, who think he wasn't friendly enough to Trump, even though we all know. You know, the, between this enormous gap between what he actually thought and what he did, he's talked like a Trump person uh, for a long time now. Um, and uh, you may see this amazing, it's, this development is really worth watching, how in fact uh, inside the Republican Party, uh, the Trump folks may in fact come out somewhat stronger in the congressional delegations than anybody would have guessed on election night. There's one other factor which I think certainly mainstream media has not even touched, uh, but I, I think it's significant, which is there have, has been over the past eight years, nine, ten years, uh, progressive organizations, I know, I'm, I know better the situation in Pennsylvania, uh, who, have been, who have been bypassing the media monopolies and just knocking on doors and they've been knocking on doors now in pennsylvania now f f you know close to a decade 
and there's uh, three three organizations that have been doing it and and there's similar or some of the same organizations across the country and, and to some extent it's really going under the radar and I, I think we saw some of that effect at least in Pennsylvania and maybe uh, maybe in Michigan uh, where you know where they recaptured the state legislature uh, you know knocking on doors may be the new techno the technology of the future which is sort of funny yeah I'm, I'm not I, I, I'm having a hard time reading what's going on in those. I am quite struck, for example, by the difference in the outcomes in Pennsylvania and New York. And I've heard all kinds of noise made about this. But uh, it is a fact that Fetterman, but also the candidate for governor there, Shapiro. Yeah, Shapiro. Uh, both ran well to the left of most of the congressional yeah. delegation in New York. Um, not all of them. Obviously, you got AOC and people like that too. But um, that was a pretty strange. Uh, the I, the other thing that I think people need to think about here is look at the outcome. Compare Ohio and Michigan. You know where Ryan was said to be well, um, a strong hope for a Senate. You know he didn't even win his own county, which I think is Mahoning down there near Youngstown and things like that. But if you look, voter turnout. These are all Senate race states so we're comparing apples with apples not uh, states that didn't have senate races uh, or something compare the you know the senate races in uh, pennsylvania the turnout or in ohio it's quite different it's also in in michigan you know the michigan turnouts eight or nine percentage points higher than the turnout in ohio uh and the turnout variations here are are quite marked and um, it, what what is up? I mean, it, that may be. A well, case. I, I'm going to look. I got to look, dig more into this. But I have a hunch that it's these organizations that are not part of the Democratic Party. They're progressive. They're, they came into being to support progressive local candidates and not always successful early on. But I know they exist in Michigan. I know they exist in Pennsylvania. And the, and, and the, they're funded and operating without any almost no support from the Democratic Party itself uh, at all. And maybe yeah. they didn't exist in these in, in New York State where maybe it was just assumed Dems would do well. Now, I know that they did to some extent in some places because I talked to some. One of them made a very interesting point to me. It might be appropriate to close on this one. We, at the time, he, he, the person there had actually gone down to uh, Georgia in the runoff in 2020. Uh, really, I guess that was 2021, just the turn of the new year. Um, that, you know, boosted the Democrats into the 50 50 tie there. And he said at the time they were all campaigning, they were telling people, look, if you'll vote for Biden, you'll get a, a rise in the minimum wage. Now, of course, the White House never got around to that now I, it's fine to say that yeah they had a 50-50 uh, uh, situation which was really 48-52 um, with two senators maybe reluctant I, my sense was they didn't try very hard and they could have done a much better job of that early on and biden has plenty of authority to do that inside uh federal government contracts and he didn't do it um so uh, this is a problem. Uh, and now the minimum wage, the meaning of that is changing with inflation. 
but it's going to make the problem even more urgent in the next few years. Because right. my yeah, I mean, if they if, if sorry, go ahead. Uh, my reading of this is unemployment's going to go back up. There are that, and, and also there are vast numbers of people out of the labor market that could be brought in with intelligent policies, especially on public health. I mean, I, but, I, but I, hang on, isn't that the point of high interest rates? Is to create more unemployment? I, I well, we have Jerome Powell's authority for that, right? I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, he was pretty clear about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just the worst form of rationing. Yeah, I, I just uh, if you want, I just think. If you want to understand both Democratic, corporate Democratic Party and Republican Party economics, it seems to me it, it's, it comes down to a very simple proposition. Both, all of them depend on corporate money and, and they, uh, not just campaign money, but the whole way the system works in terms of where you're going to work when you're out of office and so on. And if you run a business, it doesn't matter if it's a small, medium, or big business, you wake up in the morning with three things on your mind. How do I increase my market share? How do I produce with less workers? How do I produce with cheaper workers? And then you can worry about everything else. And uh, the whole elite is concerned about the fact that they may have to pay more money for workers, and that's what the policies are aimed at. Am I wrong about that? No, I, I'm, of course, shocked, shocked, shocked that you could possibly think this, especially the fact yeah, that really, me money too. is it's on a shock. both sides. Now, my reading is fundamentally that uh, the stuff you're reading in the New York Times now is what uh, quite constant with what the White House thinks, and they think that the combination of abortion uh, and democracy uh, is enough to break the uh, break enough votes off to beat the Republicans in this Groundhog Day situation, and so they are already reaching out for, to mount their uh, corporate uh, campaigns for uh, the next general election. And there's already talk of bringing in a senior business Democrat. Now the, the White House is full of senior business Democrats, you know, and that's just all there is to it. Um, and so, no, this is, uh, let's just... And, and if as many uh, people, economists and business pundits and so on are predicting, if these high interest rate policies are pushing us into a deep recession, and that's where we are in 2024, good luck with cultural issues. Um, no, I'm not. Look, you could, this is a longer discussion, but... Yes, that is a serious problem. I, I think the Fed will relent a bit, but not quickly. All right, well, we can talk about that next time we talk, and also when you've got some more data, because you're a data cruncher. Okay. Thanks very much for joining me, Tom. All right, thank you. Okay. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news. Please don't forget, there's a donate button uh, at the top of the website, uh, subscribe. Uh, to our email list. If you're on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, even though we're pretty sure YouTube is not communicating with our subscribers, even people that have clicked on that little bell so they get notified. We're getting lots of emails that people are not getting notified. But at any rate, come over to the website. That's the most reliable way to watch the analysis. And thanks for joining us.